TikTok. TikTok. Do you smarties know that crocodile from Peter Pan, the TikTok one? We Googled it, and he's literally referred to as the TikTok croc. If you recall, the TikTok croc drives Captain Hook crazy, and he follows Captain Hook everywhere, assuming he's a boy. This is what it is like for our learners. Our learners who struggle with time management are constantly followed by the TikTok croc. We don't know who is driven more crazy by the TikTok of the clock, parents or students. We think it's a safe bet to assume that parents are more bothered by this than anyone. Today, we're going to continue digging deeper into the elements of executive functioning and discuss how to make the shift from having time controlling your learner to your learner controlling their own time. Let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hi, Smarties. Welcome to episode 25 of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Stephanie Pitts. And I'm Rachel Cap. If you recall, last week in episode 24, we talked about respecting the POP. And be sure to go in your show notes. We'll link it there. This week, we're continuing our deep dive on executive functioning issues and discussing time. There are so many aspects to time, including planning your time, getting started, managing your time, and staying accountable. Before we dig into our discussion of time, we wanted to share that we actually went Facebook Live last Thursday, October 18, 2018. During this live, we talked more about last week's episode and gave away some more of our tips and tricks for respecting the pop. If you're interested in viewing that and you're not yet a part of our group, go to the search bar on Facebook and search for Smarties of the Learn Smarter Podcast group. If you just search for Learn Smarter Podcast, our Facebook page will come up, and this was not where we went live. Go join the group. Again, search Smarties of the Learn Smarter Podcast to watch that live. It was our first time going live on Facebook in our group, and if you all liked it, we'll try to do more of that in the future. Now, back to today's discussion of time. Time. I think... Just for a second, let's discuss time Mm -hmm. and how important it is and how people don't realize how it's so important in life. Well, that's the only thing that we know for sure is happening, right? We're constantly running out of time. Yeah. Or trying to like manage your time or figure out when you need to do things and how you need to do things. Or how much time you're actually spending on something now that with the iPhone upgrade, it can show you how much time you're spending in each app. And I'm like horrified by the amount of time that I'm spending each week on certain apps mindlessly. Oh my gosh. It told me how many I was averaging a day and I looked and I was like, oh, that's a long time. How much you were averaging on your phone? On my phone. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I'm afraid to look too closely at it because then I'd really have to address it. And I'm not ready. (laughs) I'm not ready. (laughs) I'm just not ready to confront it, which is something that our learners absolutely have that feeling about. It's like when you finally sit down and look at your finances. Yeah. It's so important to be accountable to your money and to be accountable to what your money is doing or it isn't doing and to know your numbers. And it's the same with time. But it's also very scary to confront it. It totally is. 
So, Rach, uh, you're just getting back into town. I am. Tell us what you did this weekend. So on Friday, Adam and I flew up to Berkeley, California. Actually, we flew into San Jose. It's a little bit easier to fly into San Jose. And we were staying with some friends of ours in the Bay Area because we went to the Cal-UCLA game at UC Berkeley on Saturday. We'll avoid talking about the actual game itself, but suffice it to say it was a beautiful weekend in Berkeley, like perfect Bay Area, not a cloud in the sky weather. Adam had never been on campus or really in Berkeley, so it was so fun to show him everything. We went back to my sorority house, and it's like all the smells and sights of it are exactly the same. I graduated in 2009, so Being back there was quite a trip. Being back there with my husband, who was not privy to any part of my life during those four years, was really wild. And yeah, we won't talk about the game itself, but we had a fabulous weekend up in the Bay Area. But yeah, it was a wonderful weekend, but definitely tired getting back into the grind of things. How was your weekend, Steph? It was good. It was good. Just, you know, I needed a little downtime this last weekend. So I enjoyed that. I'm not going to have downtime over a weekend, I feel like, until 2019. But that's fine. That's how I like it. (laughs) So let's talk about the first problem of time, which really is task initiation, which is getting started. A lot of people call this procrastination, and we like to call it task initiation. A lot of people like to call this laziness, and we like to call this task initiation. It gets misconstrued, right? Yeah. We need to make it clear that task initiation is getting started on a task, and we're focusing on when and how they get started, not what's leading up to them actually getting started. Right. And the reason most people procrastinate, well, there's a couple of reasons people procrastinate. One is that it's an undesirable task. They're Mm -hmm. not excited about, right? Like we never procrastinate on the things that we're excited about and that we know how to do and we know we're going to do well. The biggest reason students procrastinate is they literally don't know how to start something or where to start something and it stymies them. It totally does. And I think that a lot of things like we've talked about before, you don't need to go in a linear order when you're starting something. No. And I think that's what students don't feel free and haven't really realized or nobody's explained to them that you don't have to go in order. And sometimes when you just give them permission and show them, it makes such a change. So I think that's really important about breaking down task initiation. It doesn't need to be that they have to start at the beginning. And this is something we talked a lot about in earlier episodes that we'll link in the show notes when we're talking about writing and how writing doesn't need to be linear. We live in a world with word processing and we don't have to start at the beginning and have fluid thoughts all the way through. And sometimes us just giving permission to our students to start where they feel comfortable gets them into the assignment and gets them going, which is really that like initial phase that you really want to be able to get through is just get going, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that blank page anxiety that we've talked about right? And and all of that. So that leads us into the next section, which is chunking. And chunking is really breaking things down into manageable parts. And it's important to note that chunking for me and chunking for Rachel don't always look the same. Absolutely not. And so there's no one way to chunk. So figuring out 
what is going to work best for your student and how to chunk it is going to be really important for them. Can I give an example of how chunking is different for you and I? I like it. Go for it. Um, And it's something that we actually discovered while recording an episode of the podcast, which is when we're talking about planning a calendar, which we talk about in episode two. We'll link that conversation in our show notes as well. So you can just click on our show notes and find that conversation when we talk about how to calendar. But one of the things that Steph and I discovered in that episode is how we chunk the school year plan for our students, meaning all the school year calendar events. I would always have my students spend a couple of sessions and plan out the entire year. So all the days off, all the breaks, all the early dismissal days, all the finals days, I wanted all that information in at the beginning of the year. And we never had, I never have to readdress it with my clients ever again, which is what I did as a student, right? Even in college, when I got the syllabus, I put everything in, Mm -hmm. um, And Steph, we discovered in that episode that you actually chunk it, which I did not know. And you only have students do the first semester. And then you know that everybody in January or everybody at the end of December needs to go back and do the second round. Yeah. This is just a difference in how you and I think about things. Right. Right. Yeah. I still do that. I still prefer that. And I like to give them practice. So I I model the first semester and then hopefully the second semester, they're able to do a little bit more without me prompting. Do you have to remind them that they need to do it or do they get to like mid-December and they remember they have to put in the second half of the year's dates? No, they don't. They don't ever remember. So I do it with them. Um, But it's something you're doing with all clients probably those two weeks, right? So you remember. Whereas... I don't want to have to remember it, which is why we get it done. Anyway, we digress. Yes. We digress. But this is an example of chunking and about how Steph and I do things differently. We did have a little bit of a tiff this week about how we organize our podcast episodes in our shared Google Drive. Oh, yeah, we did. Chunking it differently. Well, we had a different vision and a different plan for what the folder should look like. And I actually went in and changed our shared folder without discussing it with Steph because I couldn't take it anymore. I just sent her a text and said, don't be mad at me. I just did this. And all (laughs) she texted me back was mad. (laughs) (laughs) But we worked it out and we worked it through and I understood what your needs were. Anyway, we're digressing (laughs) this morning. It's a little bit of a loopy Monday. But another element going back to our conversation about task initiation is creating a plan about when and what to actually start. So looking at when it is due and working backwards. This is where an educational therapist can really step in and help the student start thinking about the assignment. If you get the juices flowing, this can entirely mitigate resistance because they feel like they have their access point in and they know what they're doing. So going back to remembering that you don't need to start at the beginning and if we're talking about, we were talking about in episode 22 you can create questions out of a prompt so because most prompts don't give you questions. So we broke those down into sections, and that's how we have students then attack a prompt because mm-hmm. they're doing each section. Mm-hmm. And remember, it doesn't have to be in order. It could be what they already know without having to do extra work and what might get them excited or they feel like they're comfortable with. 
mm-hmm. for any type of assignment. So that could be sometimes math problems if there's a kid that's really resistant to math or writing, obviously. But what problems do you see on the page that you know and that look easy? Mm-hmm. And I might let them jump around. It's okay. In episode 21, we talk about a brain dump, which is something that we use specifically with writing, but also with students with anxiety. And a brain dump is where you take all these thoughts that you're having in your head and you throw them onto the page. You don't worry about the mechanics of writing. You don't worry about grammar or syntax or anything like that. The number one goal in that period of time, which is usually no longer than five or six minutes, is to get thoughts out of your head onto the page. By the way, all these episodes that we're mentioning will be linked to in the show notes. So you can look at that on your podcast app and it'll direct you back to these earlier episodes where we talk more in depth about these different strategies. I think another really important thing to mention with task initiation when children or students are avoiding something, it's because they've left it all for one sitting. And this drives parents crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it drives me crazy too. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. So they just keep putting it off, putting it off. Oh, I'll just do it on Saturday. Well, it's not reasonable to just do it all in one sitting. And there's Mm -hmm. a lot of reasons that that is not a good idea. And some of them scientifically proven to not be a good idea. So we know that you don't want to leave everything till the last moment. Mm -hmm. If you break it down into chunks or work on it in bits every day or every few days, it doesn't feel so overwhelming and it won't be so torturous for your student. Mm -hmm. Also, scientifically proven that when you break things down and do them in smaller bits over the course of different days, you're more likely to learn and it'll be easier for you. Absolutely. Yeah. We talk a lot about this in episode four about creating a study plan. The most critical thing to keep in mind when we're talking about task initiations is, and especially this is important for parents and educators, is that getting started is so hard for us as adults and for our students. If you're unsure about how to get started, oftentimes a framework or a visual example will really, really help your students say, okay, this is what it needs to look like in the end. Steph, do you want to share our story about this? Yeah, so this is totally me when it comes to writing large papers. Right. So in our graduate program for educational therapy, we had to write a couple of papers. We had to write a lot. We did. And the shorter ones weren't as much of an issue for me, but it was the bigger papers for some reason that really overwhelmed me. And Rachel has a knack for sitting down and just busting stuff out. Like, she's Mm -hmm. just able to get it done super quickly, and I just am sitting there, like, in circles going, "Uh, I don't even know where to start or what it needs to look like. So a lot of times, Rachel would let me, when she was pretty much done, she would let me see what she was planning out or what the paper looked like. And as soon as I had a visual framework for what it was supposed to say and how it was supposed to be broken down, I could tackle the paper myself. I would also argue, Steph, that that was three or four years ago when we were doing that. And I wonder if our professional experience as educational therapists would impact you in terms of you would know how to break down a prop and you would, I mean, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think also because, you know, it had been such a long time since I had gotten my graduate degree. 
Right. And there were a lot of years in between where I wasn't <laughs> in school and writing papers to when all of a sudden in post-grad grad school that I was doing it again. And so I think I was rusty and I just didn't I didn't have my groove, so to speak. So Right. Because I would argue when we sit down and write our episodes, our episodes are pretty scripted. I mean, we're fluid in them, obviously, but there is an outline that both Steph and I are looking at when we're recording, like we are right now. And I don't see you kind of not knowing what the page needs to look like. And you throw things in and you brain dump and maybe I come in and give it some structure. But I think you've worked that muscle, if that makes sense. Which is also one of the things I like to share with the kids. Like, yeah, sometimes it's been very hard for me. I was writing an article this week and I texted Steph and I, by the way, had the full article outlined. I had everything on the page and I was looking at it and I was like, Steph, this is excruciating. This is a reminder (laughs) of what our students are experiencing. And in fact, I had a couple of kids who had come in with papers that day. And I was like, listen, I want to validate that this is so hard. This was really hard for me earlier today. And I think it was just like the universe's way of reminding me that it's genuinely difficult. Something else I just want to go back to and add, we just referred to our graduate program. Steph went back and got her certification in educational therapy, which was a certificate. And we met when I was in the same classes as you, but I was pursuing my master's degree. You already had your master's degree, and I was earning my master's degree in in educational therapy. So I just wanted to kind of clarify that. I think we talked about that in an earlier episode, probably episode seven. But if you're interested in learning more about like the academic background of Steph and I, you can always go to www.learnsmarterpodcast.com and read our bios there. The next part about time and task initiation in general is time management. Time management is actually a really also a very important thing because I do this a lot in session and I know you do too, right, Rach? Mm -hmm. Is how long a minute actually is. And one of the things that we both learned at a conference was doing a minute exercise. And I do this in session with kids and have the timer going and not time in your head or look at a clock or anything and just feel the sense of time and sit down when you think it's been a minute. And I do this with kids and sometimes they're spot on and sometimes they're a little off. But what I do the next step is I have them go on their favorite social media app and I do it again. And it's amazing how they have no idea that three minutes have passed and it was only supposed to be a minute. And I think this is a really good exercise because I know that all of you parents are struggling with how long they're trying to spend playing video games or on social media or doing all of these things. And sometimes they just don't realize how quickly time is going by and that they need to learn how to manage it. And there's a lot of really great ways to help manage it. And I think one of them is a timer, and I'll let Rach talk about it because she loves the timer. I do love the timer, and this was a gift that you gave to me, Steph. And I actually think you went back and bought me one. I did. So both Steph and I have in our offices a baking timer, and they are from the Great British Bake Off, which if you haven't watched it on Netflix, they don't sponsor us or anything, but we certainly talk about them enough on this podcast that they should. But (laughs) the Great British Bake Off timer, and it allows us to set forth the plan in session. So our sessions are 50 minutes, 
And the student highlights, if it's a student-led session, which can happen with the older kids more often than the younger kids, I would argue, they determine what things they would like to accomplish or what specific questions they have for us. I also love when a student comes in and has a specific challenge that they want to work through with me because it makes me feel like they're really taking ownership over the process and really taking advantage of the fact that they have the luxury of working with an educational therapist. So I love that. And we write out the plan for the session and we estimate how long each element or each task that we're going to do in the session is going to take. And this is really, really helpful for a student who struggles and takes forever to complete one task. If they know they have finite time and in session, they absolutely have finite time with one of us, then they get it going. And so if you give them that hard, this is the hard start time and this is the hard end time that we're going to have for this activity, they're engaged and they're invested because it's only going to be eight and a half minutes or 10 minutes. Steph, what would you add? Yeah, I was going to say I do this with some of my high schoolers too that, you know, a lot of them have to write flashcards for different middle schoolers too, for different classes. And I've asked them how long they think it's going to take to do five flashcards. Mm -hmm. And I will, instead of timing them and putting like an actual timer, I'll just do the running timer Yep. and I'll stop when they're done and tell them how long it actually took. I've done this a lot in the last couple of weeks, actually. And I can help them plan a little bit better about when they're going to do it and how long it's going to take. So if we're having them do five flashcards a day for the next week or so, how long do they need to put aside for each set of five every day? I have a love-hate relationship with flashcards specifically because I think students take too long to do them. Oh, for sure they do. But these classes, it's both history classes, a middle schooler and a high schooler, and they have to turn in more than 50 flashcards for their chapter. It's insane. And I totally understand why a teacher is trying to have them engage with that material. And that's where we can step in as an educational therapist and say, you're spending too much time on this and you're not interpreting information. They're just writing verbatim things down. Yeah. And that's not helpful in their pursuit of retaining this information. So that's really an opportunity for us to show them how to actually take notes. I just did this activity with a client of mine. He prefers flashcards. And rather than me stopping this system entirely, I've decided to just tackle what he's writing and how long it's taking on the flashcards. Yeah. And so we did flashcards. He did a set and I did a set for the exact same like two paragraphs. Oh, yeah. I remember you showing me a picture of this. I was pretty proud of it, Steph. That's why I texted you that photo. Yeah. So he could see visually how we were totally identifying the same pieces of information as being important. But I was done many minutes before him and I had way less on the page. I also numbered it so that he could see that's a really natural organizer and it helps with studying later. But that's a whole nother thing. But yeah. It's funny that you bring up the flashcard example when I'm working specifically on that with multiple students simultaneously as well. Yeah. I mean, I really wish that the teachers wouldn't assign it, but I can't get out of it. Yeah. We can't control that, but we can control or influence how they are doing it, how to make it meaningful for studying later on. Nothing should be done just to fulfill the teacher's wishes. There's a genuine opportunity for retaining information. Oh, yeah. I wrote out for the middle schooler what he should include and had a an yes. example flashcard. And then yes. he 
those were the things he needed to include on his yes going forward because he was taking like 10 minutes each flashcard and that was way no. too long poor guy poor buddy yeah exactly and the last thing is a watch I noticed that I had a client the other day, actually, and he's a new client. We're starting on the calendar and getting a sense of time, and he really didn't have a sense of what time it was or what was going on. And I asked him if he asks other people what time it is or if he looks at his phone, and he said that he does. He is interested in knowing what time it is, and so I brought up what about wearing a watch? Would you be interested in that? And he said, yeah. So we talked to his mom about getting a watch. So I think, you know, that's something that I think we forget about as, you know, I look at my phone all the time. So I don't wear a watch personally, but some kids, a watch is a great thing and an instrument for them to use to start to learn more about time. Couple thoughts on that. I couldn't agree more. I would warn against an Apple watch. Yeah. Because that is going to only distract and deter. And when I've had this conversation with students as well, they are like, Rachel says I can get an Apple Watch. And they go to their parents and say, I would never tell a parent that they have to go out and buy an Apple Watch for their student. But the other thing that a student actually needs, very likely they'll need a mechanical watch. Our students are not proficient at reading an old-timey clock, which I have in my office. Steph, what do you have? It's an analog clock. So an analog clock. So you want to be mindful of those two things. It's not us telling you to rush out and spend hundreds of dollars, but it also is a really nice way to hold students accountable to their own time management. What's the third part of time that we deemed important enough to talk about in this episode? Accountability. Accountability is so important for most things that you do in life. Adults as well. Yeah. So being able to be accountable for knowing that you need to pay your bills, knowing that you need to turn in your homework assignments and be ready for a test. When we're talking about accountability, there needs to be good consequences yeah, and not good consequences. Right. So there needs to be a light at the end of the tunnel for accountability, right? You need to set a goal or something specific that you're working on. This is why we always say don't try everything all at once. Because we want to try one thing and have there be a light at the end of the tunnel of them trying it. So I know, mm -hmm. Rach, you told me the other day that you are having one of your students do something for two weeks and he gets a reward Yes, for doing that. Yes. And that's a light at the end of the tunnel accountability-wise for him. Yes. We're going to go get gelato. I think it's amazing. It'll be gelato on me, obviously. He did something he did not want to do and he changed his system the way he was organizing his binder. And I know from experience that it takes about two weeks for a student to fully embrace, usually sooner. But yeah, we're going to go get gelato in a couple of weeks. And he tried to negotiate going to gelato each week, <laughs> which, you know, I appreciate. And yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I was so with him. I'm like, I would love to do that. But this is the light at the end of the tunnel, and we have a two-week trial period, and no matter what we decide, he is going to get gelato at the end of it. And by the way, he'll stick with whatever system because he'll see that it works better. Sometimes we just have to push him a little along. We're not above bribery here at the Learn Smarter Podcast, <laughs> and especially when we're asking for changes before they can recognize the benefits of those changes. Exactly. And, you know... We say bribery, but at the end of the day, you don't work for free. Yes. Right? right? So you're getting bribed every day to be at work. 
So I think it's really important to note that, you know, when a student is really putting in the effort and going and being a little bit vulnerable to try something that they feel is hard or they're rigid about, Mm -hmm. it's worth giving them that little extra oomph. A little encouragement. Yeah, I like it. Mm -hmm. I like it. So it's also important to remember to schedule in breaks and days off from a project or anything that you're working on when it's hard. Kids love that. And that's one of the first things we do when we're creating a plan is which days do you want to do nothing? Yeah, because kids need to be kids, guys. And there's a reason Steph and I in our private practice, we don't see clients on Fridays. There's a reason for that. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. Fridays are really difficult, and Fridays are usually the first day that students take off from a project, which is great because that usually means Sundays they're on for the project, and it teaches students that Sundays are school night. They're school nights, yeah. Friday night is not. Take it off. Go see a movie. Have fun. Mm -hmm. Also remember to tell your students that they can turn things in early. What? A lot of teachers will let you. What? Some won't. But sometimes I've said to a student who's been worried about remembering to turn something in, I say, especially if they can turn it in digitally. Yes. And I say, why don't we just turn it in right now? And they just look at me like I have just spoken an entirely different language to them. Yes. Like they can't believe it. They can't believe it. And then once we turn it in, it's almost like the sigh of relief. Like, oh, that's done now. That's great. That is the perfect example of even if you haven't set up a reward for an assignment or for something that we're asking a student to do extra, that is the perfect opportunity to reward a student for turning in something early. Yeah, it's great. Something else we always talk about is building in a buffer day. And we talk about this in episode three, I believe, which is creating a study plan. We'll link the proper episode at the end of the show notes. But a buffer day is we psych ourselves out. So if a project is due on Thursday, we act as if it's due Wednesday, meaning we do not plan for that project on that Wednesday, meaning it has to be completed by Tuesday. The reason we plan in that buffer day is because oftentimes the plan needs to be flexible and we design these plans to be specifically flexible for our students. And that buffer day sometimes gets used, but I will argue that more often than not, it is not used and students are done now two days in advance. If you really want to get strict about bedtime and making sure that students are working within hours that are reasonable for them and their age, you might want to do a no working after this time rule in your home. And usually this is more feasible for the younger kids. I have younger kids that want to put off homework and are just have an aversion for homework and will only want to do it close to bedtime because they're avoiding it as much as possible. And you can definitely do something where no homework after a certain point or a strict bedtime, things like that. So if they don't complete the assignment and you have said no working after this time period, there's going to be a consequence and there should be consequences for late work because it's just as important as turning in something early. This is where you step in as the parent and educators can step in and partner with the parent because the parent has to be able to tolerate an assignment not getting turned in. And we would argue that there is no age that it is too early 
to learn that lesson and no age where it's really too late. So if you have a student who's in 10th or 11th grade, they do not complete an assignment and their grade suffers for it. You need to be able to tolerate that and know that the lesson of whatever the consequence is of having a zero or the teacher not giving them an extension or whatever sort of consequence is implemented. And for a younger kid who's in elementary school, there really are no consequences other than disappointing the teacher, which is Mm -hmm. we're not going to underestimate that because that is hugely powerful for little kids is they don't want to disappoint their teacher. But it is never too early or too late to learn that lesson. And usually if you have a kid who's still motivated and still wants to please and wants to do well, which is we've talked a lot about the motivation piece on this podcast, it is okay for an assignment not to get turned in in order for them to learn to not wait to the last moment or to follow a study plan, or to even, they need to do something differently. Steph, what would you add? No, I think that's great. I think you're absolutely right. And I think, don't be afraid to be parents, you guys. And don't be afraid to, sometimes, I've been dealing with this a lot lately, actually, that teachers are not understanding the full effect of everything that's going on at home. Yes. And how it's affecting relationships. And even when you've told a teacher, or maybe you don't know how to tell your child's teacher, but if a teacher is sending home things saying incomplete, or your child isn't finishing their schoolwork or their homework, it's okay. Because, as we always say, we don't want to interrupt the love of learning. And sometimes you have to let some of that go. And it's an opportunity for you to really engage with your child's teacher and say, look, this is getting combative. This is interfering with my relationship with my child because of the homework. So I'm going to make some executive decisions as the parent. We're not telling you to go, and it's not a screw you to the teachers who listen because Mm -mm. we do have teachers who listen. It's just teachers don't always know. In fact, they almost never know what's going on in the home unless a parent tells them. And so that kind of communication will actually create a fuller picture of who that child is Because they only get them for a certain amount of time every day. There's no way for them to know. There's no way for them to know. But also, if your child is struggling with 15 math problems and you tell your child's teacher that that's just too much, Mm -hmm. they might be willing and open to say, okay, let's just start with five. Yeah. Or they're going to say there's three different concepts. Have them do three problems or two problems from each concept. Which is fine because all they really need is a little bit of extra practice. We don't want it to turn into something bigger. Right. The last kind of step of accountability is something that we both really love. Mm -hmm. It's the reason why we did not do an individual podcast. There's no way we would have ever attempted a podcast without the other one. No way. But a huge piece of this is doing a project with a friend. This is a fun project for Steph and I. It also keeps us accountable right? You're expecting me to be available and ready to record at the time that we've set out. I'm expecting you to be able to write at the time that we've dictated we're going to write this day. Sometimes we both flake and that's okay too. (laughs) But we have accountability with each other. And even in high school, my best friend in high school and I were accountability partners the whole way through. She talked about that in her speech at my rehearsal dinner. 
how we really motivated each other and pushed each other through because if I knew that she had completed an assignment and I hadn't done it yet, drove me crazy Mm -hmm. and vice versa. So having that social element and the built-in accountability partner is really critical. And it should not be a parent being that accountability buddy. No. And keep in mind, this is not appropriate for every child. No. Or necessarily with any friend. It needs to be something very specific because I know that there are some kids that get together with friends and they just goof off. But there's a specific type of friend that is out there that they can do really good studying with. And it's okay if they take breaks and go have fun as long as they're doing the work. Absolutely. And when I was growing up, my mom didn't really understand that, so I wasn't really allowed to do anything social when it came to studying. Huh. And as I got older and I realized how valuable it was, mm-hmm. it's a game changer. Huh. It really can be because I always sit there and say, like, if you have a friend that you know you work really well with, go study together. Go do something together that has to do with school that you're both working on. And the kids are really relieved to hear me say that. Yeah. We give them permission to do what they're naturally inclined to do anyway, right? As long as they're being actually successful with it and motivated. And I will tell you, there are students that I would never make that recommendation to. For sure. There's always going to be that. But there are some kids that you definitely know that they'll do a good job. That's their access point in, right? Yep, for sure. So Smarties, like we said in the beginning of the episode – Go and join the Smarties of the Learn Smarter Podcast Facebook group to see the live that Steph and I did last Thursday. And if you're listening to this podcast a little down the road, it's still existing in the group. So go find it there. Who knows? Maybe by that point, we'll have done more. Yeah. And we'll link the group in the show notes. We're excited to have you there. That's where Steph and I are interacting with all you Smarties. So go ahead and join us and we will see you next week. Have a great week.